0: bandwidth for changelog is provided by fastly learn more at fastly.com we move fast and fix things here at changelog because of rollbar check them out at rollbar.com and we're hosted on linode cloud servers head to linode.com slash changelog this episode is brought to you by rollbar rollbar is real-time error monitoring alerting and analytics that helps you resolve production errors and minutes and I talk with Paul Bigger, the founder of CircleCI, a trusted customer of Rollbar. And Paul says they don't deploy a service without installing Rollbar first. It's that crucial to them. We
1: operate at serious scale and Literally, the first thing we do when we create a new service is is we install Rollbar in it.
2: Like we we need to have that
1: visibility, uh, and without that visibility, it would be impossible to run at the scale we do, and certainly with the number of people that we have. Like we're a relatively small team operating a major service, and without the visibility that Rollbar gives us into our exceptions, it just it just wouldn't be possible.
0: All right, if you want to follow in Paul's footsteps and start deploying with confidence today, head to rollbar.com/slash changelog. Once. Again again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, at changelaw.com/live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com/community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at jspartyfm. And now on to the show.
1: Hello, world, and welcome to an interesting edition of JS Party. We're trying something new. You know, like, we like to experiment around here. And we have a brand new segment that we're calling YupNope.js, which was an awesome library by our very own Alex Sexton back in the day. This is a debate. No, it's not inspired by the current United States political debates. It's an idea from Feras to come up with a premise and talk about it and have people take different sides and see what happens so we're gonna see what happens here we should stay up front that we aren't necessarily representing our own beliefs we're representing the side that we were assigned and i'm your humble moderator and the assigner of sides we have two teams team furball made up of one part for ross and one part k-ball what's up guys you're teaming me up how's it going yep we're gonna find out how it's going real fast team short skull yeah. made up of divya and chris uh, representing the nopes. What's up, Divya? What's up, Chris?
3: I mean, nope. You <laughs> <laughs> no. have
1: to be way more negative here, Divya. Denied. <laughs> so that's the idea. It's yep, nope. We have two teams. For Austin Ball representing the yeps, Divya and Chris representing the nopes. The premise we hope you'll find interesting and one that, honestly, a lot of us could represent either side. I feel strongly both ways, which is a, quite a conundrum is that websites should work without JavaScript. That's the premise. Websites should work without JavaScript. And on the yep side of that is Foros and K-Ball. And on the nope side of this debate is Divya and Chris. By the way, we would love to hear from you. If you love this segment and you want us to do it again, let us know. If you hope it disappears and never reappears ever again in the history of humankind, let us know. You can comment on the discussion page on the changelog.com. You can let us know on Twitter. You can send a, par- a carrier pigeon. We don't care. However you'd like to let us know, we would love for feedback because we are very much experimenting. So let's get on with it.
4: Well, and it's, it's super simple, right? They just have to say yep or nope.
1: That's right. You can yep this episode. You can nope it. But we would appreciate a little stronger, what do you call them, arguments than just yep or nope. So let's start. Segment one. This is going to be starting with Team Furball. Person one is Feroz. Farash, you got four minutes to introduce your side of the argument. Websites should work without JS, and you are going to say, yep. Go ahead.
5: Great. Okay, so our premise is that websites should work without JS. And I want to start by emphasizing the word websites in the premise. So it's an important distinction to make here between websites and web apps. So because the premise is focusing on websites and not web apps, I think that it will be a lot easier for our side to argue this premise. We're talking about websites which are devoted to mainly conveying content to users, not delivering an interactive experience. And so I want to just in advance say to our listeners that if our esteemed opponents on the other side try to switch their argument, so switch the arguments, focusing on web apps, that uh, that's not the right way to to be thinking about this debate. So <laughs> just in advance, I want to get that out of the way. So. If you're focusing on websites, then one of the things to think about is default behavior that the browser gives us. If we use just HTML and CSS to build our websites, we get amazing default behaviors, uh, specifically around like links. So links will just work. Um, instead of you know, implementing a link as a div with an on-click handler, you know, where you have to basically then become responsible for all of the various click behavior that the browser does for you, like, Command click to open a new tab, or middle click to open a, a link in a new tab, or right click not causing a navigation. You know, these are all things that are really easy to get wrong if you implement like a link as you know a div, for example, that has a that has an on-click handler. Additionally, if your site works without JS, then it's probably quite accessible. Uh, it may not be perfect, but it's probably quite good. Building a site that works without JS, and then, you know, so disabling the JS and, and testing the site out is a great way to sort of see how uh, some accessibility tools will experience your site. So you know if your links don't work, that you know without JS turned on, that's a that's a problem. Uh, that's going to confuse accessibility tools. It's going to confuse search engines. And so you know it's not a perfect way, but it's a good way to sort of get a sense for how you know whether you're using the correct semantic tags whenever you can. And then the last point I want to focus on uh, in my remaining time is that sites that work without JS probably have better performance because at least if it's a content site, because you want to. Think about what the experience of a user is while the JS bundle is loading. So on a slower connection, a page will be downloading the HTML, and the browser is really quite good at showing HTML to the user as that HTML is being streamed across the network. It has this thing called a speculative parser that can sort of start to show this content. And so while the JS bundle is loading, that's what the user is going to see. And so you know, if your site works without JS, that means that, that something is showing up on the screen cl- before that JS bundle has been downloaded, which is good. You know, that's just like another metric. So if you build your site so that it works without JS, you will have better performance for content sites. And lastly, uh, just another point about the speculative parser, the browser is quite good at firing off requests for resources that it finds in the HTML as it's downloading that. And so if you have resources like images that the browser encounters, While the HTML is being downloaded, it'll be able to start to do DNS lookups for those URLs, start to open TCP connections, start to do the TLS negotiation, and then eventually fire off HTTP requests for those resources. Instead of waiting for this big JS bundle to download to sort of get your your app running, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, So your your site waterfall will just look completely different. So yeah, I think that uh, those are my main arguments. Time. Time? Okay, perfect.
1: Good job. You squeezed that last one in. I believe you're at four minutes, 11 seconds. So I gave you a little bit of a break there. All right. So there is your first argument from Team Yep. Let's hear from Team Nope. Who do we want? Chris or Divya? Uh,
2: not, not it. <laughs> not it. <laughs> they're,
1: they're already saying nope. <laughs> he's you're already saying no.
3: Team just... Short
2: Skull.
1: Yeah, well, he's representing the nope side. So he's going to say nope to the response. But go ahead, Divya. Okay. Uh, you're nope.
3: All right. So I'm not going to rebut anything was said. I'm just going to state what i what this, the premise is which is that websites should should not work without javascript it's a double negative and that's because i believe that javascript is a, an essential part of the web and it drives interactivity and so i know that i said i wasn't going to address the rebuttal part of it but i want to make the distinction between like websites and web apps which i think is like a ridiculous distinction and difference because a lot of the times it's really hard to make that, to define what exactly a web app is versus a website. And so I'm just going to throw that away, but-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Throw it out.
3: Throw it out. But the whole idea is that, so one thing that really excites me about the web is this idea, of um, the way of building the web, which is Jamstack, um, it's JavaScript API and markup. And so what it does is it takes otherwise static websites and it makes it dynamic. Static websites are really nice because like we was saying, it makes it very fast to load. It makes it like fairly secure because you can load it from a CDN, et cetera. But the nice thing about JavaScript is that you can add additional interactivity to it, which an otherwise static page doesn't have. And so if you wanted to make an API call or if you wanted to grab content from elsewhere, you cannot do that unless you have JavaScript loaded on your thing. And JavaScript in itself in today's world is fairly, it's a first-class citizen of the web. And so throwing it away and assuming that things should work without JavaScript is a ridiculous idea to begin with. Um, And then another thing to note is also this idea of, um, and Frost mentioned it, I think he didn't really give a term around it, but I would call it progressive enhancement. And so this idea of progressive enhancement is this idea that if someone was loading a website on a device that was on a 3G network, maybe a Motorola-like phone that is not very good, (laughs) it's not a high-powered Pixel or iPhone, you want the website to load. And so we're not saying from our side that the website shouldn't load because the idea is that. Ultimately, you want to make sure that the user sees content and then JavaScript loads in the background. And you can easily do that. Um, So in a sense, like making sure that your JavaScript, like having JavaScript on a page doesn't preclude you from that because you can still load content and then JavaScript can still load in the background. And and there are many ways in which you can optimize for that as well. So V8 has like improvements in the way that they do script streaming. You can also have access to service workers, which are really nice because service workers give you an ability to do background app sync and do like additional app cache stuff, which is app cache was before service workers, but essentially you can cache resources that you need access to, which is really nice because it gives you the ability to optimize for offline as well, which you can't necessarily do if you did not have JavaScript loading. And so I would argue that a lot of the things that make a website terrible with JavaScript is more a lack of a developer practicing by using good practices. For example, when someone says that JavaScript isn't loading or JavaScript load is too much and it's taking really long to load, the time to interactive is very long. Um, that's more a result of developer error than JavaScript itself because there are many ways in which you can address it. So there's code splitting, there's tree shaking, there's different ways in which you can make sure and lazy loading, there's different ways in which you can make sure your website loads faster while also having the benefits of that interactivity that javascript gives
1: you have 15 seconds anything else to say
3: um i think i'll stop there before i start a new thread
1: you can't start a new thread in 15 seconds exactly okay very well done very well done so there's your first round on the on the up and the nope let's turn it over for the for the backup team backup we're gonna be k-ball backing up for ross you have four minutes to disagree or to state your side whatever you want to say you got four minutes go ahead
4: excellent First, I'd like to thank Divya for making our case for us by talking about (laughs) progressive enhancement. Uh, Progressive enhancement is the idea that website or application should function just fine without JavaScript, and JavaScript then adds something progressively on top of it. So thank you, Divya. I could stop there, but I'm going to continue going by reading statements from Hacker News comments that make our point (laughs) for us, because if we're making debates, why not make it interesting? So statement that JavaScript should be required, that sites should not work without JavaScript and that you have to enable JavaScript. Statement from Dazi on December 28th, 2015. Sorry, but your statement is ridiculous unless the website is an application that is it does something useful. It's just a bunch of text and images. You should not expect people to give you full Turing capacity just because you're too full of your awesomeness that you can write a program. I think that makes our statement pretty well. Coming back to progressive enhancement, Progressive enhance. Oh, sorry. This is PDKL 95 on December 27th, 2015. Progressive enhancement is easy. Your framework or development tools should do most of the work for you. Maybe try different tools. Leaving out progressive enhancement is just lazy. Why would you prefer to show people a broken website as a first impression? Do you even know how many people see a broken website? Next part of our rebuttal is uh, related to security. Comp bio, December 27th, 2015 statement, nothing is gained from a user perspective by requiring JavaScript, but security is lost. Additionally, we can make an appeal to professional sensibilities because, gosh, web development pros, we're all so professional. Donna TJ on January 26th of 2015 states, professionally speaking, this is one of the most important tests of the quality of a site. When I see an AJAXed site on a resume, this is dating them a little bit, it's the first thing I check as it is a sign of a true craftsman taking care in their work. Ajax should always degrade gracefully. Do I have any more any more good rebuttals? In high level, the statement here is progressive enhancement is great. We love JavaScript, all the JavaScripts. The web is unreliable. The web breaks down. JavaScript will fail to load. I'm on a mobile connection. If I travel the world, I get 2G connections. If I look at mobile internet, Something upwards of 60% of access to the web is on the mobile internet. Phones are slow. Mobile network connections are unreliable. Oftentimes, JavaScript will just fail out or take forever to load. Your site should function without it. Can you make it better with JavaScript? Sure. If your site relies on JavaScript for it, you just lost a heck of a lot of people.
1: Okay. I assume that you're, that's your time right there.
4: I don't know. I wasn't timing. Were you timing me? I was
1: timing, but it sounded like a good place to stop. You had probably 45 seconds similar to Divya.
4: I can look for more Hacker News comments, but I think my case has been made.
1: On the one hand, I want to give you points for the research you did. On the other hand, I want to dock you points for just pulling in Hacker News trolls to uh your case for Yeah, I, would, I would
3: question the <laughs> appeal to authority.
1: <laughs> yes, the, the, the place of all authority is the orange, orange website.
4: I just figured, you know, if we were going to dive down into ad hominem effect, Attacks. I would put the uh, Hacker News people out there as the targets.
1: There you go. Don't attack K Ball. Attack the people he cited.
3: Yeah, that's not in the spirit of debate, though. I would never attack any of my opponents.
1: Well, let's see what Chris will do. Chris, would you like to attack your opponents? Would you like to retreat into a cave? <laughs> uh, you have four minutes. I know you've. Retreat. Uh, <laughs> I know you've passed it to uh, to Divya once already. I hope you got something up your sleeve.
2: All right, the rhetorical question that the Hacker News troll asked, which was, do you know how many people see a broken website? Well, I'm going to say the, the number is very few because most of those people are angry hacker news trolls (laughs) who use the no script extension and then uh, use it as a opportunity to shame websites that their, their websites don't work without JavaScript. The other people that don't see the JavaScript uh, when they visit a website are, are probably using text browsers. Uh, this is also probably a subset of the angry nerd on Hacker News comments. And the other people may be somebody using a feature phone. And it, it just kind of depends like whether or not the people using feature phones are your uh, website's intended audience and whether or not those people actually expect interactive browsing experience on their feature phone. The other the other point I'd like to make then is if your audience excludes people who do don't necessarily have JavaScript running. And this, this we can say this is you know, not their choice. Choice, I mean uh, the angry nerd who turns it off. If you're expecting your audience to have JavaScript, it may not be pragmatic to spend the engineering resources to make your site degrade when it's been designed from the ground up as an interactive experience. And so uh, oftentimes it may take extra work to get that done, And, uh, you know, designers may need to go in and say, okay, this is what the site's gonna have to look like when there's no JavaScript. This is how things are going to have to act. And, you know, as a developer, there's always this push and pull between uh, the time that that you're allowed and the resources you're allowed and, and time to ship. And it may not be pragmatic. It may not make business sense.
0: This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams with products like droplets, spaces, Kubernetes, load balancers, block storage, and pre-built one-click apps. You can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. Head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog.
1: Well, it was a heated debate. We're going to continue this a little bit shorter, spurts passing it back team to team. I know Team Short Skull took issue with the website web app distinction. I know Team Furballs loves that distinction, but do they really believe it? I don't know. We'll find out more. Let's let Short Skull speak more about that distinction or any points that you want to make in rebuttal to the Furballs. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought it was their turn.
3: Yeah, it Where's Short Skull.
4: You're saying
1: nope again. Come on now. Come on. I just gave you the floor and you just <laughs> batted it back to me. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I'm the moderator here. I make the rules. Go ahead, short skulls.
3: (laughs) Okay. So I wanted to, I want to reiterate the point that Chris is making in terms of the audience who we're building websites for. And I think the people who disable JavaScript are intentionally disabling JavaScript and are therefore people we do not build for in general, because a lot of the times what we're focusing on in terms of this argument and what has been brought up so far is trying to optimize for the lowest common denominator, which is someone on a 3G network, on a phone, or a device that is not very high-powered. And so in order to do that, the argument that was made by the proposition was that you essentially don't want to load JavaScript because it takes a lot of time, et cetera, whatever. But the thing is, JavaScript is really nice because it gives you the capacity to check someone's network and then load the appropriate scripts that they need. Because as I said previously, I think interactivity is kind of the joy of working on the web and using the web today. And so the nice thing about JavaScript and using JavaScript today is that you have access to a lot of APIs that allow you to query someone's bandwidth. So there's like the network API. What is it called? Yeah, the network information API that basically allows you to check whether or not what connection someone's on, if they're on a cellular or a Wi-Fi connection. And then based on that connection, load the scripts that will allow them to view images or whatever interactivity that they would need. And so using that, it gives you the power of, it, of like selectively loading specific things so that you're not giving them the bulk of JavaScript that will make it really slow and will be render blocking overall. And so this idea of kind of like selectively loading or selectively giving people scripts is something that I think was brought up in a BBC article a couple of years ago, which is this idea of cutting the mustard, which is just being able to load scripts based on whichever device someone is on. So if someone's on a low-powered device, you give them less JavaScript versus someone who's on a high-powered device, you give them more JavaScript. But the idea is that JavaScript is necessary because you want to give them just some kind of interactivity, somewhat.
1: Time. Okay, furballs. That sounds like a
4: wonderful case for progressive enhancement.
3: Yeah, but progressive enhance... Okay, I'll just wait.
1: (laughs) I think you stopped. You can go ahead. Get into it.
3: I I just think that progressive enhancement doesn't mean no JavaScript. It doesn't mean no JavaScript. It means there is JavaScript. It's just how much JavaScript there is.
4: So our premise is not that websites should never include JavaScript. It's rather that that website should still work without the JavaScript. So if I want to look at your wonderful blog with images and I try to load that page, I should not have to have my JavaScript working to be able to see your writing and your images. Now, if your JavaScript is working. Wonderful. Okay, you can give me this great, beautiful, enhanced experience. You can check. Am I on a desktop? Great. Massive images. Am I on a phone? We're going to do the smaller ones. But I don't want to wait for that JavaScript to load. And you know, I think we, we talk about slow time, and I, I feel that a lot every time I travel. Because I, I do, especially like when I travel, T-Mobile is great because they give me a connection everywhere. But the connection they give me everywhere is 2G try loading a website from the U.S. on a 2G connection from somewhere overseas and oh my goodness it is the definition of pain but what's more painful is when you see it you see it there it's there you can see there's just a little bit hinting you read the first two paragraphs you're ready to scroll and your web page or application or whatever won't react to your finger because it's still waiting for the javascript or it's trying to parse the javascript and the javascript the first bundle is loading the second bundle, and you're at 10 or twenty seconds to interactive, and like measuring on three g is one thing, measuring on two g, it's even worse. You should be able to function. and great when you get the JavaScript, do more. Awesome. Love it. But having to wait for that JavaScript to do anything is really painful.:
5: Yeah, can I also add something to the to the websites versus web apps discussion? so i I agree that we were talking a little bit in the during the break about like that being a difficult distinction, like what where exactly is the boundary between the two? So I think maybe something more useful is to ask the question can this site work without JS? So ignoring like the developer experience just like is it actually possible to make this site work without JS? And if it is, then I think that you should. <laughs> so if it's a blog, you know, that should probably work without JS, but if it's like a game or something that literally requires WebGL or if it requires the use of WebRTC or the you know, the canvas or something like that where you need JavaScript, then obviously it would be extremely burdensome to 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 go and you know get the developer time to to somehow hack together a solution maybe that would work without it so it's not about making your site work without js for the hacker news trolls it's it's about doing it because it actually makes your site better requiring js to show some simple text on the page makes your site more complicated and more brittle and as programmers our entire like our entire job is to reduce complexity the biggest challenge we face is this creeping complexity and requiring JS to show some text is like a very clear form of complexity and complexity is the enemy and it makes it so that like if something slightly goes wrong with the way the, pa- the page is loading then the entire thing is completely broken or the, you know, or the, or the site just doesn't work until the, until the JS arrives I rest my
2: case Trust calls. <laughs> Chris uh, <laughs> I, I had a thought come back to me <laughs> You're not going to quote Hacker News again, are you?
3: He's always he's drawing
2: I would just like to quote Hacker News one more
1: time.
4: No, no, no. I'm going to quote Divya's article that she posted. It's a wonderful article talking about the distinction between websites and web applications being a false distinction. And I just want to read this paragraph, which says, In my experience, there's an all too common reason why designers, developers, and product owners are eager to self-identify as the builders of web apps. It gives them a get out of jail free card. All the best practices that they'd apply to websites get thrown by the wayside. Progressive enhancement, accessibility, semantic markup. Oh, we'd love to do that, but this is a web app you see. That just doesn't apply to us. Coming back to progressive enhancement, it should function in some form without the JavaScript. I think we were all building web applications using server-side frameworks before JavaScript got fancy. And those are web apps. They do good stuff. They're important. Uh, You know, they're interactive. They do lots of different things. I love what we can do with client-side JavaScript today. But it has kind of clouded our eyes to some of the fundamentals.
1: Let me hop in here real quick because I just can't stay quiet any longer. No,
5: you're supposed to be you're supposed to be neutral. What is this? Uh,
3: yeah, you well, have to be in the middle. I,
1: I am in the middle. You're the moderator. I'm, I'm asking for this from the middle. K Ball, if you were building, this is an honest question. Like, let's pause the debate. If you were building Slack, would you progressive enhance? Do you think Slack should work without JavaScript? Great question.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think I should be able to read existing messages, like load a page and see what has happened, creating that real-time response is, I mean, that is a JavaScript. You
3: can't app. use, yeah, you can't, WebRTC does not work with that Wait,
4: so can't you HTTP post
5: the message up and then reload the page to see the new message? No, that <laughs> no, you, laugh, you laugh, but if you look at,
1: uh, <laughs> literal LOLs there.
3: Yes. You I, I've can.
5: seen Gmail's simple HTML interface. Like if you're on a really slow internet connection or you're on a really crappy phone, you can actually, you can actually still yeah. use Gmail. Like you. You click, the, you click the name of the email and then it just loads a new page with the email in it. And then you can type into a box and you can hit send and it posts it.
3: Yeah, I think essentially that's like one way of experiencing and working with the web, but it's this idea of you're making multiple server requests for like very simple interactions. And so sure, yeah, it makes it like possible for you to work without JavaScript, but you're still trying to lean on HTTP requests to make those interactive experiences work on a static site. And so the the nice thing about working or or when websites like Slack or I guess web apps I don't know whatever web things (laughs) when web things things yeah web (laughs) things I build web things for web things like Slack to work you would need JavaScript because you want those niceties of that interactivity you can also do a lot of pre like preloading you can make sure that resources are fetched beforehand so that you can optimize for offline experiences, as I mentioned earlier, which is something you cannot do without JavaScript. Sure, you could like, I don't know, load a static page, but you can't really, all hyperlinks do not work when you're offline anymore. Versus if something was client-side rendered and you were using like a PWA, for instance, which is a progressive web application, which requires JavaScript, which is optimized for progressive enhancement, you have the ability to load all of those pages so you can still access and use it as you would need um, without even noticing that you're offline. So if you're ki- kicked offline, you can continue sending email, doing whatever you need to do. And then when you come back online, all of those actions are then sent over the wire. And so that's the nice thing about JavaScript and why web apps or web things like Slack <laughs> need JavaScript.
2: I wanted to jump in and, and, and talk about one, one point that's been mentioned in passing, which is accessibility. Uh, it's a misconception that sites with JavaScript are inaccessible, especially to, like, screen readers, right? So nowadays, like, a, sc- a screen reader does not care about your JavaScript. The way a screen reader works is it cares about the markup. And regardless of whether or not your site has JavaScript, if that JavaScript is good or bad or whatever, if your markup is not semantic, if, if you're not using um. Like the aria attributes and accessibility features built into the HTML platform, then your site will be accessible regardless of JavaScript. And so, uh, just because a site needs JavaScript doesn't necessarily mean it's it's going to be inaccessible to to a screen. By
5: the way, on, on that point, I just I just meant that if you um, you already have something like a server side rendering set up, and you know you're getting HTML back from the server, and then you disable JS that's just like an easy way to test whether you are using all of those nice properly semantic tags, right? Because now you don't have all the like on click handlers attached to stuff that the JavaScript would have done. You just have the raw elements. It's just a nice way to, it's just like a nice easy way to test whether your site is like minimally accessible. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I have no idea. Sure. <laughs> was, that, was, that, was that an argument? I thought you were just oh, commenting.
4: Okay. To jump on, Chris's point a little bit. I think it is 100% true that the idea that JavaScript is not accessible is a misnomer. One thing that I think is overlooked is that HTML and CSS are accessible by default in the sense that the languages are simple enough and declarative enough that browsers, screen readers, et cetera, can figure out the right way to interpret them for their medium. Whereas with JavaScript, You've taken a lot of that control away from the browser by default. You've said, I'm going to control all of it. And now you have to put it back and you have to re-add those accessibility features and functionalities to make sure that stuff continues to behave.
3: I actually disagree with that. Just because I think that, like, sure, HTML and CSS are, give you attributes to make them accessible, but you don't get access to the, the accessibility model or the ex- I think it's the accessibility object model because it just automatically does that for you. So all you have to do is use those attributes and then it, it just does those parsing and it orders everything as it should with the screen reader. But there's this idea of the accessibility object model. I don't think it's default at the moment. I think it's still like in standards. But that's essentially a JavaScript API that gives you access directly into the object, the, the AOM or accessibility object model, which then allows you to move around nodes and make it such that you can organize how exactly you want your site to be viewed with the screen reader. Because if you were to use just automatic HTML, CSS, like ARIA attributes and so on, you're kind of ceding control to how exactly those, the standards work. But with the AOM, you get to actually manipulate that yourself. So you can create a specific user experience for screen readers if, if that's something that you would like to do. And it needs JavaScript. And it needs JavaScript. I
4: don't think that we're disagreeing on that because you know, the browser and already knows how to create that experience for its built-in stuff, right? So like if you have yeah. a select HTML element, that element is accessible because the browser understands how does the select work. You know, screen readers understand how that works. You don't actually need additional ARIA attributes to explain a select element. It just, it functions. They know how it works. Similar to the rest of form elements, various other things until we decide that a select element is not good enough, we want a combo box, and we're going to implement this all in JavaScript. Now we have taken control back, which is true, we now have more control, but we've also taken information, and we need to now add that back explicitly with JavaScript.
5: One nice thing you can do, by the way, is just use a select element and then enhance, like the JS can sort of, the JS can see the select element there and then replace it with something, you know, at runtime. so So if the JS doesn't actually load, and you still have the select element, which might not be as nice as your fancy little component widget thingy, jigger, but will still work.
3: Yes. The thing about JavaScript that makes it nice when you want to access that, that DOM tr- or that AM tree is that events don't work really nicely with accessibility. So if you were to trigger events, like you're like this, I don't know, clicking this button does this other thing and opens a pop up or whatever. Like you were mentioning, KBall, currently, there's no way for you to manage what exactly happens with the accessibility tree. And so if you want that interactivity to work, which is often the case, then you would need access to that tree so that you can make sure that the event propagates properly and that screen readers have the ability to handle that appropriately without just like it bubbling up to, I don't know, wherever it goes, which is very jarring because in general, accessibility is a jarring... Like viewing the web as a, someone who has um, an impairment is very frustrating. And so the ability to handle those events as they propagate, because events are obviously what happened, like event delegation, all of that things is kind of standard on the web at this point.
4: Once you add JavaScript.
3: Yes, it's it's standard. It's It's fairly standard.
4: <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I think part of what you're highlighting here, if I'm understanding, it, is just the current tools for making JavaScript accessible are insufficient.
3: Yep.
5: I'm going to appeal to authority and read some quotes at this time. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) I've lost complete control of this panel. Go ahead, Ross.
5: The first quote. No code is faster than code. Okay. Second quote. The code you write makes you a programmer. The code you delete makes you a good one. The code you don't have to write makes you a great one. And next quote.
1: Are you getting these off of fortune cookies, or where are these coming yeah, from? Yeah,
3: where are these from?
1: Confucius says...
4: I, I can't disclose.
2: <laughs> what?
1: Uh, are
4: they free copy... Is, is the copyright available such that we can put them on t-shirts?
2: <laughs> Who, Whoever said this is going to be objectionable, and we're going to disregard them.
3: Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Authority doesn't work as well when the authority is anonymous. Right? Yeah. All, right, all right, last quote, last quote. In
5: Inside every large program, there is a small program trying to get out. <laughs>
3: Also, I would like, I mean, since we're talking about appeal to authority, I would like to quote Atwood's law, which is that any application that can be written with JavaScript will be written <laughs> with JavaScript. Uh.
4: And this was a positive thing?
3: Uh, yes, very positive. Very, very positive. 100%. Very positive. The huge statement.
1: You heard it here first.
0: this episode is brought to you by cross browser testing of SmartBear, the innovator behind the tools that make it easier for you to create better software faster if you're building a website and don't know how it's going to render across different browsers or even mobile devices you'll want to give this tool a shot it's the only all-in-one testing platform that lets you run automated visual and manual ui tests across thousands of real desktop and mobile browsers make sure every experience is perfect for everyone who uses your site and it's easy and completely free to try check it out at crossbrowsertesting.com slash changelog again crossbrowsertesting.com slash changelog
1: All right, we're back for the behind-the-scenes of the debate. The post-debate, you know, I like to talk about who wins, who loses. Well, we're not going to do that. We want you to do that, maybe, if you like. If you're on Team Furball, let us know. you yep. think the Furballs represent. If you're on Team Short Skull, nope. All are back. The yups versus the nopes. You can click on the show notes. There's a discuss on ChangeLog News button. We'll all be in on that, on that commentary. Or hit us up, FM on Twitter if you prefer. Let us know what you think. Now, let's let's actually represent our real thoughts versus the pre-assigned ones that you were forced to represent. Curious what y'all really feel about this. I'm firmly in camp. It depends, which is the moderator, the moderate camp. But I do think the, the distinction between web app and website is sometimes worth making, especially in extreme cases, such as a Slack. I do believe it is not in Slack's best interests to, simultaneously to build in a progressive enhancement way or to simultaneously have an HTML only version of Slack that they're keeping up to date with their other code. That's my own opinion. But if you can progressive enhance, please do. I do it on changelog.com all the time. For example, we have a JavaScript player that when you click the play button, it pops up. JavaScript takes over, uses the, uh, all the fanciness to do the things. But at the end of the day, that play button is just an anchor tag, which links directly to the MP3. So if you don't have JavaScript, it's just going to take you to that file and your your browser will play it. So I do practice these things when they're easy or maybe just a little bit more effort. But if it's orders of magnitudes more effort, I tend to be a little bit more of a pragmatist. That's where I stand. That's why I say it depends. Curious what you all think about this in reality.
5: I mean, I totally agree. I think obviously we have a limited amount of time to work on stuff. and We have to prioritize the most important features and focus on features that benefit the most users just like you know just like yeah, yeah just like the same thing as prioritizing fe- features that you're going to focus on building you know you wouldn't focus on a feature that benefits like a really tiny fraction of of your users while you have other features that you could build that would help a lot more of them so it's you know it's sort of like once you've taken care of all of the like easy stuff then maybe if you have time you can sort of think about making things really perfect and you know hel- you know helping the people Sort of edge cases. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot how a lot of businesses operate. But on the other hand, accessibility is an example where you actually do take a lot of time and energy potentially to make a site work for a very small fraction of people. And so, you know, I don't know. Maybe we should be thinking of the the JS crowd as just another sort of smaller group of users that we should focus on. I don't know. I really don't know.
1: Divya, you represented the nopes. Do you believe in the nopes or were you just representing the nopes? I
3: I mean, I was just representing the nopes. I feel like all of us, like similar to everyone here and I echoed their sentiments in that we're pretty moderate (laughs) in our views because I think in general in the web world, there's this idea of JavaScript eating the world. But I think everyone feels that pain point of how complexity causes more complexity because you're like, oh, you need JavaScript for this thing to work. And then you need JavaScript to like, Fix the issues that the JavaScript introduced and then it just keeps going which is kind of like why Babel came about and then Webpack because it was issues as a result of writing more JavaScript and then also trying to be super cutting edge like using arrow functions but then arrow functions are not backwards compatible so you need to polyfill which requires JavaScript <laughs> and like all of this extra stuff and then it ends up becoming this crazy mess of JavaScript. And so you're loading all of this JavaScript to load more JavaScript. And so it just becomes, yeah. So in general, I think it's, it's kind of a ridiculous conundrum that way. <laughs> and I'm very much of the opinion of, like, I believe in progressive enhancement, as everyone has so far mentioned, just because I think that that's the ability to make sure that your site works in all scenarios. So because ultimately you want the content to load so people can at least see what's happening on the page. But of course, you also want to optimize for the time-to-first interactive because it's really frustrating if everything loads content-wise, but then it's not, it doesn't work. And so I believe it's kind of a balancing act. So you you don't go like, oh, no JavaScript at all, but you want to make sure that it works at a minimal amount. And so to make time-to-first interactive better, there's a lot of like ways that you can make sure you can use like HTTP server push. So you're making sure that your resources load as fast as possible so that time is, is improved. And there's a lot more um, like techniques. I think Eddie Osmani wrote a post called The Cost of JavaScript in maybe 2017 or 18, talking about just how to make that time to first interactive, which is actually perceptible to people. People notice that. And so trying to improve that using various techniques as developers and trying to be responsible for that.
1: Cable, you're strongly on the yep. So are you you strongly on the yep? Well, engineering is all about trade-offs.
4: So as everyone has said, we make, trade-offs sometimes it's the right choice sometimes it's the wrong choice uh-huh. um, i do want to highlight something along this domain there was a post on brad frost's blog recently that i will actually we should probably put it on page log news it would be great but it was reacting to a tweet somebody posted actually somebody who was on our show at react Amsterdam, stem uh, he said you're working on a front-end project you can install max five dependencies which ones do you pick and everybody's weighing in with their tools of choice and yada 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 And Brad Frost raised is a really interesting point. Like if you were to say, you're working on a home improvement project, you can choose max five tools, which ones do you pick? Like your question would be, what's the project, right? Like, am I repairing a toilet? Well, I probably don't need my saw, right? Like there's a lot of dependency on what you're actually trying to accomplish. But we have a tendency to have in, in the web world because you know, all languages are Turing complete and we can do anything with anything. We have a tendency to say, OK, I have my tools and I'm going to apply that hammer to every project and it's going to look like a nail. And I think that that is a problem. And I think increasingly massive JavaScript frameworks fall into that hammer that we try to apply to every project um, and make every project into a nail. Um, and that has led to an industry-wide tendency to have too much dependency on JavaScript. So I, I think you know, the statement your site or application should work without JavaScript all the time, one hundred percent of the time, is not tenable. Right. There are Slack is actually a great example. You know, I tried to rebut that a little bit in the debate, but like, yeah, Slack it's literally about real time conversation. Right. It makes zero sense to have a static version of
1: that. I mean, I liked your response though, because you I could tell your your gear started a turn and you started asking yourself, well, what could we provide somebody in that case? Maybe a read only version. Maybe, well, Farah said, you could do an HTTP post. Uh, you definitely could do that. I wonder what the Gmail is the example there where they do have the HTML-only version. I wonder if that's because they built that first and then they went, I don't remember. Like, does that exist? I would love to know if they're just like continually working on that or if it's just like, well, this thing still works because we haven't changed our back-end APIs.
5: I would guess there's some segment of users that are getting some value out of it or else they would have deleted it like, they've, like they
4: delete so many of their products.
1: <laughs> right. And if you have just so many million people using it, then that small percentage is still a large amount of people.
4: Yeah. If I'm ever overseas and connecting through my phone through one of those super slow connections, I'm so grateful that that exists, right? Like I'll, I'll be, I'll have my laptop open because it's easier to deal with things on the laptop, but I'll be connecting through something that's really slow. And Gmail will automatically say like, Hey, this, our our JavaScript intensive experience is taking a long time to load. Do you want to go to the static version? And it makes it possible to use Gmail in scenarios where otherwise you really can't. Like it's unusable. Mm-hmm. I am in that slice of users that once a year or so, I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful this exists.
1: But if you think about an email client, it really isn't a thing that should require, I mean, the, the fallback is you load a page, right? You read the stuff, you enter stuff into a form, you push submit, it posts it to the, it's a very normal web flow. Whereas something like WebRTC is dramatically different Webflow, right? Anything that's ha- socket-based stuff, dramatically different. And so they're really that—that's where it's like, okay, is there a progressive han- enhancement? If if I'm building a collaborative video tool such as Appear.in, which we've we've tried and works pretty well, it's WebRTC. Is there like a fallback for that where it's like, hey, we'll give you a ASCII version of what you guys look like, or <laughs> you know, like what? So I—that's why it, it does depend, and and I think Gmail even is a better has a more obvious fallback than a Slack or a video tool.
5: One interesting thing about the Gmail example is maybe a better experience for you, K-ball, when you're traveling would be if if they actually got, you know, got their act together and added a service worker to Gmail. So then like all of the resources that it actually takes to like load up the Gmail UI would have already been on your computer.
4: Entirely possible.
5: Yeah, and then it would just be one API, re- you know, one API request to the server to get the new emails. I guess they do have Gmail offline now, right? I think so. Does it require like a, I forget. If, it used to require a browser extension or something.
1: Mm. Chrome only, probably. <laughs> only works in Chrome.
3: Actually, you can even enable, I guess you have to enable offline email for it to work. And it has to be on Chrome.
1: Okay.
5: Yeah, it should just work out of the box.
4: Let's do it. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, any other thoughts on this topic? Go ahead, Kimball.
4: Oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, just coming back to this question, um, there is this sort of meta question that, that gets thrown around periodically around developer ergonomics as compared to actual user value. And a lot of the overemphasis on JavaScript is around that developer ergonomics, and it's it's really focused there. And there are times when that's the right answer and the right trade-off to make. And there are also times when, you know, it enable, as we just discussed, it enables a product experience that wouldn't make any sense in another world. However, I think we forget that it is actually a trade-off very often, uh-huh. and we don't necessarily uh, look at the cost that that places on users. Um, we don't think about it. We're all using our high-end MacBooks on really fast networks. We you know, develop things close to the servers that we're using, so we rarely have things that don't respond or time out, and we don't you know, really deal with those error cases nearly to the extent that we probably should. I think we also have an overemphasis on cutting edge and latest and greatest. You know, I think about Craigslist, right? Craigslist, every developer and every designer is like, oh, I'm going to build a better Craigslist. Craigslist is a piece of crap. Craigslist is using this old, whatever. Millions of people still use Craigslist every day. And if they're over the age of 40, many of them like it better than the other options.
1: Isn't that more of an argument for first to market and network effects versus like quality tooling? Like they use it because they're used to it.
4: It's an argument that simplicity of use is undervalued in our industry. if we have a design and it's two years old and we say oh shit this design is way out of date i got to update it right like my mom has not updated i mean now she's got alzheimer's and whatever but like even five years ago when she was still functioning like she could not understand anything that changed fast right like she was like baffled she time something she was using changed and that's not uncommon right like i still get i'm frustrated with the new twitter interface what the heck the old one was fine this new one adds zero value to me and it it it's like like it's changed for change sake
1: she wouldn't like LinkedIn very well every time I log in LinkedIn looks different I'm like what happened like how many people are working on this it shows how rarely I log in I guess can you but. imagine
5: if physical products worked the same way that uh, tech products do like especially cloud cloud based ones where they can change uh, out from under you at any time like imagine if your toaster suddenly the buttons were like on the other side rearranged yeah like and you didn't even decide like you just wake up one day and like you can't find the buttons and, like the, the manufacturer is like oh yeah yeah we, we changed them around you know following trends
3: but I think that's the that's the argument with microwaves and ovens, right? Just, just like having all these extra settings that you don't need where it's like, oh, for popcorn and for like chicken nuggets.
5: <laughs> oh my gosh, I totally agree. I've always wanted to have a microwave that just has a plus 30 second button and nothing else.
3: Yeah, exactly. That's all you need. That's
5: yeah, you all just you go plus, plus 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 yeah. until you get to the thing you want and you're done. Maybe, maybe if you wanted two buttons, you'd have plus 30 and plus one minute. Or a
3: dial. Oh yeah, a
5: dial. Yeah, that's even better.
4: Yeah, Simplicity is very valuable. <laughs> and we as an industry dramatically underestimate that.
3: Yeah, there's a really good book on that called um, The Design of Everyday Things that goes into mm-hmm. detail on this idea of simplicity. And and to your point about developer ergonomics, I, I believe we brought this up before, but Alex Russell had a post about just this idea of the developer experience and switch, which talks about how developers tend to use JavaScript in a way that's better for them rather than for the users. And so he compares javascript to co2 and just this idea that it's like a metaphor that as a polluter you don't think about your emission you just think about how it the convenience to yourself so let's say you're like i want to get from i don't know boston to new york i'm going to take a plane because it's faster versus like you know taking a train or whatever um but then you don't think you don't think actively about the carbon emission that comes about from that decision and then other people have to like deal with that as a result and so yeah. I think it's similar with how we build websites and web apps, whatever, web web things. <laughs> the way we build things today is just this, this concept of how will it make the developers happy. And as long as they're happy, the decision is a good one, um, which I think is a false association.
4: Yeah. And none of this is to say that we shouldn't have any emphasis on developer ergonomics or that we shouldn't have any, you know, that there's never a reason for a more complex interface or that, you know, we shouldn't have any change. It's just that all of these things as everything in engineering are trade-offs. They have consequences. And it is my belief that most people in the industry right now are not looking as closely at some of those consequences as might be um,
1: valuable. One last thought back on simplicity before we call it a day. We mentioned making things simpler is better. I think it's Einstein quoted with everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. I don't know if he actually said that, but remember the not simpler bit because you know, maybe you're a chair manufacturer and you have the magical ability that for just mentioned of like changing products and you think, you know, it's even simpler than a chair with four legs as a chair with three legs. Cause that's one less leg. And so that's simpler. And so that's better. Right. And then you pull a leg out from underneath your customer. So it depends. <laughs> Don't don't make it do That like,
5: smug smile,
3: full of puns. You're like,
5: I, I made it funny.
1: I'm just imagining somebody fall over.
3: I'm just saying you just constructed this whole like statement in order to just say that one pun. Like, let me construct this entire statement.
4: <laughs> we see what you did there. And at this point, I will start quoting random jokes.
1: This is quite a call out. As an appeal to authority, I will now start reading <laughs> jokes.
4: What do you call a cow with three legs? I don't, I don't know.
1: you got to tell us.
4: Tri-tip. What do you say? Know.
3: Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> Tri-tip. What do you call a... all right, I can keep going. What do you call a cow with two legs?
3: I don't know. Oh, gosh. T- tender... I don't
4: know. Lean thinking... beef.
1: Oh, my goodness.
4: Oh, gosh. It keeps going. One one leg.
3: This is an appeal to carnivores. <laughs> Only carnivores. This is.
1: You're being a c- exclusionary.
4: What do you call a cow with one leg?
1: Oh, gosh. He keeps going. <laughs> I keep going.
4: I I can do dad jokes all day long.
1: <laughs> well, that, tell you us. Know that,
4: that thing about, you know... Uh, what can you talk about for 30 minutes with no prep? Bad jokes. 100% there.
1: Okay. Well, finish the the logical conclusion. A one-legged cow is what now? Steak. Oh, that's good. And then no legs?
3: <laughs> On the spot.
1: Ground beef. Ground beef. Ground beef. Ground beef. Golf clap. We have to end the show, folks, before it ends itself. That's JS Party this week. Do let us know if you like our new segment. Yep. Nope. We had fun. We'll probably do it again unless y'all hate it. So... Holler at us. We hope you enjoyed. We'll see you all next time.
5: Also, suggestions about maybe how to make the format better. If there was parts that you liked, parts you didn't yeah. like, that would be really helpful.
1: And additional premises. So we have to come up with a format and we come up with the premises. We have some ideas on other premises. But as Faraz points out, if you misword the premise a little bit, he'll use it to his advantage and undefined exactly. a part of it in order to win. And that's that's very tactical, but not fair. So help us out with premises. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelawcom live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelog.com community. And do us a favor, share this show with a friend Rate you will not a podcast, go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno cloud servers. Head to Leno.com slash Changelog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows
2: just like this at Changelog.com.